Oh, yeah, microphone checker. Listen, before we get to this week's episode, I really want from the bottom of my heart, with a heavy heart, for those who are listening now, um, I really want to thank everybody who reached out, sent an email, sent a DM, sent a text, called me about the passing of Grandma Premium. It has been very tough. Really just knowing that 98 years uh, is special, but you never want to see someone go. And I can only remember the moments and the memories. And I'm so proud that I was able to share her with the internet. And the internet loved her. And I would get so many people sending me their condolences and love to my family and pro- and prayers and thoughts. And, and, and I remember when I put the post out about it, there was so much love for her. And people, I you know, I guess people really feel like um, they knew her or they, or, or they enjoyed the moments that I shared with her. And I, and I, and I, I can't express how much she meant to us. She was the matriarch of our family. She was the glue, the rock. Uh, you know, she raised me when I was young. I lived upstairs from her house. And then, you know, she, she took care of my kids, you know, and, and, and watched them grow up. And, and, and I have so many moments and memories that I'll always remember of her and how much she meant to me. You know, just just alone, that is so special, and and I really, really am honored and 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 blessed to have so many people send all these calls and texts and DMs and emails about the passing of the late great grandma premium. You know, I can't express how much it means. It's been a tough week. You know, in 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 a different note, I've been playing Sopranos Con for so long. This last week. With the team, shouts to uh, Dan Trader, Michael Mata, and Joe Farmer. It has been amazing to see what has been done. I told them, I said, you crazy bastards, if you're going to come together and put this together, you you got to be crazy. And they're crazy enough to pull over twelve or 15,000 people in two days. Every national TV uh, was there, over 55 cast members. The build-out was sick. And the Gandafini family even was in the, in the house and was able to pay tribute to them. David Chase called and left a message about how beautiful it was. It 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 was really amazing, honestly. And and just to have a hand in it, just to be able to uh uh you know help them with that uh was an honor. And I consider those kids my friends and I love uh um how they turned a passion, okay, into a true entrepreneurship. What a great, great journey, and it's very young, and there's so much more to come from those guys, so stay very tuned. Again, I want to give a big shout out to anybody who reached out to me um, and and sent their prayers, sent their blessings, sent their condolences for the the late, great, the amazing, the big hearted, the person who who inspired me so much, who was the backbone of the support, uh, how she loved me, how she uh, supported me, how she cared for me, even in my troubled times, how she always believed in me, how she cried for me. You know, my grandmother, man. Anybody who's Italian, too, you know, a nana and a family, man. It's it, it's a real, real special thing. So, internets, man, thank you again. And I know energy never dies, and I gained the angel. I love you, Grandma Premium. Now, I, you know I always say, open up your Twitter, uh, open up your Twitter, open up your Instagram app, and at Premium Pete, at Premium Pete Show, and check the fuck in. Okay, I seen a bunch of y'all on Sopranos Con from fucking Buffalo, Toronto, Philadelphia, all over the place saying, yo, you fuck with the show. I appreciate you. Okay, Internet's worldwide. Check in. Let me know where you're checking in from and let me know what you're listening to. Okay, let me know what's going on. It doesn't only have to be what show you listen to. 
Premium Pete is not a selfish fucking person. Okay, you listen to what you like. I have a library of episodes. Everybody from LL Cool J to fucking Venmo founder. Listen, I've sat down with people, actors, entrepreneurs, athletes. Listen, okay? Your favorite hip-hop artist, your favorite producer, your favorite DJ. Okay, it's a library. You may not like one episode, but you may not like you may like the next. It's a library. Okay, you go in there and you pick what you like. Okay, so check in. Tell me what's going on. Let me know what's up. You know, um, I, I want to hear from you. And and if I didn't, I wouldn't say it. So at Premium Pete, at Premium Pete Show, or even email me the Premium Pete Show at gmail dot com. Again, that's the Premium Pete Show at gmail dot com. Okay, and check out the YouTube. Subscribe to us on there. Leave a comment. We got a lot of videos going up. Uh, we're really starting to build that channel with full video, social clips, and more. We're Premium Pete Show on Instagram. Follow that. We're on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, all of that, okay? Make sure you're locked in. Whatever platform you like to use, make sure you subscribe to the Premium Pete Show. More importantly, if you're on Apple, rate us. Leave a comment, okay? I don't care if you say, yo, Premium Pete, fuck you. Don't matter to me, Okay? But more importantly, shouts to you, Internets. And this week's episode is another special one, okay? This queen, okay, is a a survivor, a warrior, okay? A radio veteran, an entrepreneur, and just somebody that I really, really admire, okay? Got breast cancer, looked it in the eye and said, hey, wrong door. Get the fuck up out of here, okay? She's been around a long time. Her, her, you know what I really, really appreciate her, 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 j- j- just the way she's able to keep her composure and, 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 and how she has gone about it, fighting cancer, losing her hair, losing her breast, you know, having, being a mom, be, being a fiance, you know, it's not easy. And she has inspired me. And, she, and, and, and also, it's like funny because it's like this episode is like the documentary of her life. It is unfiltered, just like she is. And it's like it's to me it's like two parts. One with where the cancer came in and, and two of like her journey. But internets, if you fuck with the one and only Kali Hustle, listen to this, okay? Listen to this and really take it in. And if you don't know who she is, don't go anywhere. Press fucking play, okay? If you know, and really and really take this in of a warrior. We should be lucky. Life ain't always easy. People complain about fucking Netflix or, or complain about Twitter or complain about fucking uh, uh, traffic. How about you complain about getting cancer and living in it with a family, but really being a warrior and really being an inspiration for people worldwide? Internet's Kali Hustle, just like many others, we have Pretty Lou on another warrior, okay? I got much love for her. So if you know of her, you're going to learn a little bit more. If you don't, please get ready. For the warrior, the radio veteran, the entrepreneur, and the real special wor- person, my friend, Kali Hustle, on this week's episode of the Premium Pete Show. Let's get to it. Cheer! Yo, what's up, y'all? This is Fat Man Scoop, the undisputed voice of the club, the two-time Grammy Award winner. Let me make this official for you. Fat Man Scoop, Crook McClam, Internets. It's time to go with my dude, Premium Pete. Let's get focused. Let's go, Internets. Let's turn up one time, Premium Pete. Come on, everybody get set. Let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up. It's the Premium Pete Show. If you want the scoop in the low, down low, listen to the Show was Luke said so. Fuck what you heard, better act like you know. 
This is the Premium Pete Show. Internet, welcome back to another episode of the Premium Pete Show. Man, finally sitting down. This has been a while, okay? I'm going to tell you, and I had to keep with it. The, you know, there's certain certain episodes. I feel like in, in just in podcasting in general, a lot of people have different schedules, different things going on in their life. And then some people hit you up and expect you to fucking just be available. Yeah. And it doesn't work like that. But for a long time, I've been wanting to have you on, even before anything you were going through. Um, even before I almost died? Well, yeah. Well, almost <laughs> don't count. Like, I'm not really here, like, to do a trauma podcast with you, because you actually wanted me before this happened. Yeah. So that's how I know you're, like, real about it. Not just, like, let me get in here and get nosy with you. Well, you're, you're a make-believe manager. You're uh, a fiancé busy. <laughs> he actually, when you just started... Uh, podcasting, mm-hmm. you know, obviously you, you, you know, well, internet's listen. Kali Hustle's in the building. Um, Hi. You know, I could go through the list of many things. I could say a, a radio veteran. I could say a, a, a survivor, a soldier. Um, you know, a podcaster, uh, um, entrepreneur. We could we could say that because sure. I remember you hustling them uh, bow ties and a lot of other things. You know that we'll get to uh, beforehand. But uh, just an overall, you know, good person. Whether that be a you know, sometimes I think that it doesn't matter, you know, if you look at women or men, you know, it's just good people. And anyway, that's you. But so so even beforehand, I was like, you know, I wanted to have you on. I remember when Busy had called, you know, I spoke to him and I wanted to actually he was asking, he was saying some things. I remember hitting him up and telling him, like, yo, hit me. And I wanted to give some kind of advice or just, just thoughts that I had on the uh, space and it's funny because I feel like you're the type of person, correct me if I'm wrong, that you want to take your podcast and make it where it was you because there's so much out there, like everybody doing this and this and this. And you're like one of those people like, okay, I'm going to do this. So I'm going to switch it and flip it and turn it sideways. And I'm going to do it my way. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because for a while I think you were trying to figure that out. And I feel like now you have found that space. You know, would you feel that? I think so. I mean, uh, my podcast at this point is sort of, not on hiatus, but it's going through a transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also behind a paywall. I've moved all my content yes, to Patreon. Patreon. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I did that um, actually when I was diagnosed with breast cancer because I was like, yo, I need to monetize this shit right now because mm-hmm. I don't know what these medical bills are about to start looking like. And, you know, it's not cheap being sick. Um, so I did that. And um, my podcast has been a monologue format. I've had a couple of guests on there. But it's mostly just been a short-form monologue, and it's been a kind of showcase of my writing. So really, I'm a writer that podcasts. Do you feel it's hard? You know, a lot of people look, you know, obviously I've been around podcasts for a while. I feel like a lot of people look to bounce off of somebody. Do you feel like it's hard to just do it by yourself where you're sitting there and, you know, just talking? Not if you prepare. I mean, like I said, it's written. So I write the whole thing out, and it's long and then I just essentially read it but I read it in a way that doesn't sound like I'm reading at least that's the goal sounds more of like a constant stream of thought mm-hmm. um, so yeah I don't find it difficult um, I think it's more concise I felt like the space when I entered it was already really crowded and so I didn't want to waste people's time and I knew that a lot of people were doing inner like interview form podcasts and sure. I didn't want to add to like more of an interview form podcast kind of landscape because it was already crowded. So I thought, let me just 
do a podcast called Brutally Honest, make it a short format why monologue. Brutally, why Brutally Honest? I mean, obviously it makes, you know, you're being brutally honest, but is that the first name you had for it? Why, why, why exactly that? I think it kind of was the first name that we came up with. Um, because I think telling the truth and seeking the truth is just sort of my life's purpose. And being transparent and um, being honest is just my goal. And I know that like a thousand percent transparency isn't possible if you want to have a job or, you know, keep industry friends sometimes. Or sponsors. Or sponsors or, you know, yeah, all of those kinds of things. Um, But I want to get all the way up to the farthest point of that edge before I jump off, you know, and it becomes like suicide as (laughs) a careerist or, you know, as a friend. No Verrazano Bridge. Yeah. Because it costs $15 to get over it. So you don't want to? No, you don't want to. Yeah, you don't, don't want to spend. I want to save that money. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, your sense of humor is something that uh, I've actually admired because, and we'll get to it, you know, as we break down the journey of Carly Hustle. I, I always say this, so I have to say it with you: people who know you, I want them to get to know you a little bit more, and people who don't know you at all, I want them to get to know you. But you, you know, your sense of humor, even with dealing with, you know. You know, as of late, and I don't, I don't know how long you'll correct me, but uh, exactly when the date was, but getting cancer mm-hmm. and getting, and you got, is it breast cancer, right? Is mm-hmm. it? And, and, but still having a sense of humor. Now, socially, sometimes things look good, but when you say brutally honest, like, it's like you, that's like the clean version of saying, fuck your feelings. Yeah, exactly. But even <laughs> being on Twitter, mm-hmm. I'll see how you'll put things out there, okay? And explain, you know, your, your journey of going through, you know, everybody has a different journey of what they go through. But people can't imagine going through cancer, right? Not only just being with somebody, having a fiance, having a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people complain right now. Somebody mm-hmm. will complain that some, you know, uh, about the littlest thing, not realize how, how many people have other things going on. Yep. How 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 hard has that been to, you know, be a mom, still go to work, have a fiance, like, and then honestly, like. What the fuck do you do for fun? You know, <laughs> is there such a thing now? You know, getting over. You know, maybe I don't know. I, it's, it's a lot of questions. It's a lot of things, but sure. it's just a conversation. So yeah. So I was diagnosed with breast cancer on Christmas Eve of last year. Um, so Merry Christmas yep. and Happy New, Happy New Year. That shit was a clusterfuck. Um, I'm hoping that this year we can create some new memories because that was pretty rough. Um, And for about six weeks, you know, me and my fiance, Busy, we talked about the approach to how I would handle this diagnosis. Um, I was very scared, obviously. I think cancer is a big, scary word and it's a big, scary thing. And, you know, the diagnosis is, you know, I had some a very aggressive form of breast cancer. Um, And so I wondered do I just disappear off the radar and kind of pretend this isn't happening? Because if I open myself up to the world with this diagnosis, like, does that let bad energy in? Like, I'm very sensitive right now. I'm going to be really sick. Like, you know, there was a lot of doubt. And then I, like, pulled myself together and was like, like, okay, who are you? (laughs) You have a podcast called Brutally Honest. You're going to cower away in a corner somewhere and be the sick person and you know be scared of the world during this or are you going to be who the fuck you are and I chose to be who I am and have cancer and go to work and be a mom and have a fiance and have a social life and you know all of those things 
And I wanted to not only prove to myself that I was, you know, I had that grit, but I also wanted to show the world like what a sick person looks like um, who still has a life because I think the world doesn't like seeing sick people. Um, they they like to see it as like a car accident or a train wreck or mm. something like that um, because it's fascinating or it's they have a curiosity or maybe it's like a trauma porn for them or whatever. Um, but, you know, I think Instagram and Twitter and all these places where people curate their lives, I want to curate my actual life as close to reality as is the truth. And the truth is that, you know, I was really sick. And I'm coming out on the other end of it. And I wanted to document that not only for myself. I have six highlights on my Instagram. They're called cancer grams. You can go on there. You can literally watch from my day one of chemo all the way through this last surgery that I had last Friday. I just had my chest cut back open again. And I'm sitting right here having a conversation with you, you know. Mm. Um, and it's not because I want to be some hero or some inspiration. But, like, I want people to see what it is. Because a lot of times people hide, and I understand why they do, because it's a lot. True. But I took it upon myself to say I'm going to be that face of this because I have this specific following of people, and I have a lot of people who are influential that follow me as well, and I wanted to them to see that you can be sick and not perfect and fucked up and also work in the music industry or whatever it is that you do. Um, and normalize that mm. kind of like when I had a kid and I was pumping my breast milk at work and we worked in a small co-working space and there was no place for me to pump my milk. So I just threw on my shield and I was pumping my milk in the middle of <laughs> fucking meetings. And I was normalizing the fact that like, I'm a woman, I lactate, I had a child, I was pregnant, you saw it. And now I'm, I mean, my kid has to eat. What do you want me to do? You know? And I spoke to my coworkers about it and everybody was fine. And that's what we did. Like, I think normalizing Where was humanity this? This was at, at uh, Apple. At Apple. Yeah. yeah. And it was cool. But, like, we need to normalize the fact that we're human beings. We're not fucking cre- crafted yeah. brands at all the time. You know, like, this is real shit. This is real life. And the more we hide it, the harder it is for people to feel like they can really be who they are. I was given permission to be myself in this process because I watched a woman die on Instagram. Like, mm-hmm. no lie. Her name was Crizada. She was a fashion mogul. Um, she sold clothes. She modeled clothes. And she got diagnosed with stomach cancer um, right around my age. And I hopped on the train and started watching her stories. And she was dying every day and talking about dying and talking about living while she was dying. And it happened before I was diagnosed. And finally, you know, the, it came to an end. And... um had I not followed her and watched her and, and been inspired by her honesty and, and her perspective, maybe I wouldn't have done what I did. So she gave me permission to be me, and I want to give other people permission to be mm. themselves by doing just that. Mm. Well, shout out to, to her and rest in peace. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing when someone could influence you in something so strong like that. You know, another thing we don't do, and I like the way you're saying normalize what we're doing here, like I'm going through this and I'm dealing with this and, and this is what it is, you know. One thing we don't do too is a lot of people don't normalize crying. Mm-hmm. Um, just 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 to cry, you know. Sometimes, a lot of times I'll ask people that and some people are like, 
you know, I don't remember. Or then when I start thinking of like how I grew up in Brooklyn, people are like, I don't you know, my, remember my father, they're like, you don't cry. Like, you know, yeah. you'd be looked at as like a, a sissy. That was what I used to be called sure. if I cried. Um, you know, but oh, as I got older, you know, going through a lot of different things and obviously not, you know, cancer, but going through a divorce and being a single father and, 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 and troublesome years. And I remember like when I broke down one day and cried uh, where I felt it was healthy, you know, and I also felt I was, to be honest with you, I felt I was free at that moment, you know, of... Uh, that I could, uh, you know, go through that. When you're going through something like that, like, you know, how, how does, how have you been able, I know, you, you know, you, you spoke on this girl inspiring you, but how have you been able to like, you know, you know, it's tough, man. And, and, and just knowing what you're going through and, 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 you know, having a kid or having, and, you know, have, have, have you been able to like speak to, you know, your fiance or, or, or with your problems or, you know, has it been something that you just bottled up, like a therapist maybe or something? Because you're going through a lot and, and you don't just talk to anybody. And, sure. You know, and, and, and to pour that on somebody, maybe that's not something you want to do. I, to me, you seem like somebody who's very selective of who you're going to speak to as far as what you're going through. I think generally that might be the impression. But um, first of all, I try to not. You know, it's hard living with somebody that's going through this. Um, And I, you know, I commend my partner, Busy, because he's been a superstar. But I also can't, you know, bleed him, you know, to death either by constantly talking about it or having him be the only person that can support me. Like, I needed to expand my network and be not less selective. It doesn't mean being less selective, but being more open. You know what I mean? Um, and going public with it was great because people felt comfortable coming to me and saying, Hey, I went through this, you know, I know what you're going through. I'm on the other side. This is going to happen if you ever need to talk. So I, I had a lot of strangers, honestly, that came out of the woodwork. Um, I had a lot of friends who were casual friends who have become family in this process. Like people who I never thought in a million years would, would step up, stepped up in a way that. I can't even describe to you. Um, and also people who I've known forever who just couldn't come to the table. And sure. I, I'm not even mad about it. Like, it's hard. I, some people just don't know how to deal with that. I'm, I wasn't – before this, I wasn't great at that kind of stuff, right? Like, I wouldn't know what to say or, like, maybe I should leave them alone or, like, I, I wasn't good at it. So through this process, I've learned how to be a better friend, how to be a better support to people um, and I've gained new friends. I've strengthened strengthened relationships. And I think one big thing is that I had like, you know, like addicts, how they have sponsors. Sure, sure. Right? I basically had a sponsor, you know, who, you know, obviously I don't have uh, problems with addiction. But I had a mentor who went through this a year before me and was there every step of the way. And I was just – we were on the phone and we were texting. We didn't even see each other the whole time I was in treatment, but she was there. And I would text her and she would text me back and she would check on me and we would get on the phone and she would walk me through things. And like without her, her name is Donnie B. I don't know if you know her or not. Yeah, she's she works over Nike. at Nike. Yeah, yeah she yeah. still does. I don't I, – I have a lot of friends that know her. I don't think we met personally, but yeah. yeah. She was the one that used to give people kicks. So of course you know Donnie yeah, B. Yeah, she still does. Okay. So when I got diagnosed – No, no, no. <laughs> When, um, yeah, when I got diagnosed, she, she sent me, like, the biggest package of Nike shit, like, 
fly shit too, you know. And busy. Did you? I hope he wasn't putting his fucking hands no, he in there. Nothing. Okay, yeah. okay, no. It problem. was all. It was all for me. Um, you know, dope suits and shoes and stuff like that. And aside from like obviously speaking with me and all those things, but it was just you know, it was nice. And I had that person who was a constant throughout the whole thing. And like I know that it's now like my job to do that for somebody else. Sure. You know, I'm still in the thick of it. Like I'm healing from the second surgery, but I'm towards the tail end. And now I have people hitting me up all the time. Uh, somebody well-known in the industry who has not come out with their diagnosis just texted me um, a couple of days ago and said she she's 30 years old. She was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer, one of the most scary and aggressive breast cancers you can get. Yeah. 30 years old. She's young. And um, so now... My job is to walk her through this shit, you know, like that's that it's like a very shitty kind of sisterhood yeah, to be yeah. in because you don't want to be in that. But that's but that's, that's important. What it is. That's important to have. You know, I always speak about it, even even from a different level. But even speaking about being a single dad to my daughter growing up all those years, to be honest with you, I didn't have all my friends were going out. Nobody. So I didn't have anybody to have. People, you know, and I, so I try to be that for other people, for men that are, you know, so, you know, even though it's totally different uh, situations, but to, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe nobody, maybe Dorney, there wasn't somebody there for her and that she felt she had to be there for you. I don't know. I'm just saying. She was very different in her approach. She was, she didn't announce it. She didn't talk about it. I don't, you know, she went very quiet for her whole treatment. And I get that. I get why she did that. You know, I approached it a very different way, and she also supported that very much. She wasn't like, do it my way. Like, do it how sure. you want to do it, you know? So I think to your point, you know, where you see a void of something that you didn't have or that is needed, like, that's your job to step sure. into that space. If you have the resources and the capacity and the emotional fortitude to do so, you should do it. Sure. You know, when you were going through some of the surgeries, did, uh, you know— what what made you stay strong? You know, was it the family? Was it, you know, your daughter? Was it just, you know, what made you keep a positive attitude? Because, you know, I don't, I, I, I didn't hear you say, oh, why me? And, and, and complaining and kicking and, and screaming. Now, not saying that some of those things, uh, they, they could happen behind us. And that's totally, war- you know, warranted. But what made you stay? Because, again, here's the thing. Your story is, is bigger than I think maybe you know. And what I mean by that is this is something that you could go around even if you wanted and, and do all over. Because being a survivor, being somebody who's gone through something that's so powerful, I start looking at people we lost, you know, obviously – uh, Reggie Ose, Combat Jack, to cancer. You know, you look at somebody even like Pretty Lou, who's dealing with the. You yeah. know, he was in a coma for 13 days. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, there was people posting that he was passed away already. Yeah. I, I was like, damn, Instagram don't wait no minute. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and you, you say Dawny, you say there's a lot of people around. Like, you know, I'll be honest with you. Growing up, I didn't have, I don't remember seeing people in front of my face like that going through it. Um, well, the incidences are a lot higher. It's a lot more frequent, and people are a lot younger. And there's a lot of big issues that that goes into, and we can talk about that if you want. But yeah, well, I guess skipping that way, you know, like I said, but how does okay? So you had breast cancer, right? So uh, how how does that like? How can women who are listening, or even men who are listening, I can tell their girls or wife, like, is there anything that they could do to check on themselves? You know yeah. how we. You know, or, or that they should, you know, know or signs or go to the doctor. Men can get breast cancer, too. It's not as common, but it does happen. Uh, um, uh, Beyonce's dad 
had uh, just came out and said that really? he had it. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I didn't that's know right. That. Yeah, yeah, I seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew knows. Matthew cut you off. Yeah. yeah. No, I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, I think it's important to note that because a lot of people just think it is a problem with, for women, and you know, it's much more likely to happen with women. But um, I, I, first of all, I think listening to your body, no matter what, breast cancer, no cancer, or just a cold or, you know, anything, you need to listen to your body and you need to pay attention to that. The only reason why I caught this um, in time is because I listened to my body. And I don't know if it was God, the universe, a spiritual thing. I don't know what it was, but I was getting a, a bunch of shooting pains on my left side um, in my left breast. And over and over again, these weird shooting pains, and they weren't going away. And I was like, okay, well, I'm over 40. I should go, you know, get a mammogram because that's what you're supposed to do. I've always heard, like, get a mammogram after 40, get a mammogram after 40. So I went um, to my gynecologist who does the referrals, and as they were, you know, checking my breasts, they actually found a mass on the right-hand side. There was nothing on the left-hand side. So... And there was, there's never been any cancer on the left-hand side. But I was getting these shooting pains on the left-hand side. Why were they happening if the cancer's on the right? So she was like, hey, you know, it's probably just a cyst or something. Let's send you in and, you know, you'll get a mammogram and, you know, you'll be on your merry way. Didn't even think anything of it, if I'm being honest. Um, but I went in and once I got there, I started realizing that something was up, you know. Let's take some pictures. Let's take some more pictures. We need some more pictures. Okay, now we need to do a sonogram. They spent 45 minutes measuring shit inside my right breast. Go over to my left breast. They're there for a minute and a half. Nothing. So I was like, all right, something's like wrong. Mm. Then the lady comes in and she's talking to me like a toddler. Like, well, you know, so just to be, you know, we're just gonna, okay, you know. And I was like, all right, I'm fucked. Like, I can already tell that I'm fucked. Um, so they're like, come in on Christmas Eve. We're going to need to do these biopsies. And so I went in on Christmas Eve and they did the biopsies. And the radiologist, I was like, you know, give it to me straight. What's up? I was like, do I have cancer? She's like, yes. Am I going to lose my breast? She said, yes. She said, this is going to be the shittiest year of your life. Get ready. Like, buckle up. And I was just like, I lost it. You know, I just, I lost it. And I had to get in the car and, you know, tell my partner that that I had cancer. And that was – it was really rough. And, you know, I, he, he has been through this before. My partner's mother passed away from ovarian cancer. And I don't want to, like, put his business out there like that. But, like, you know, he, he – to have that happen, to have – to lose his mom of cancer and then to have his, you know, his partner get diagnosed was really rough. Um, so I don't usually cry about it. I'm not really a crier actually, yeah, okay. but, okay. uh, it just, it does make me feel emotional to think back to that day because I'm heading towards that day and, um, you have tissues? yeah, I have some, I have, I come prepared. Okay. Okay. I forget it. Um, she's prepared. I, I, mostly because reason, I, my nose how, how is always dripping. This lady's I'm a prepared. mom, you yeah. know, we, we always have tissues. Um, but you know, as I approached the, the one year sort of anniversary of having to, to look in my partner's face and tell him that, like. You know, long story short, listen to your body and and don't wait until it's too late, because if I would have ignored it, which is customary for something that I would have done, I would have ignored it normally. But something told me don't ignore it. And um, so I didn't. And I caught it at stage 2A. If I would have waited another six months, as aggressive as this kind of particular cancer is, 
could have been stage three. You could have been into the lymph nodes. You could have been into some spreading. Um, and then, then you start looking at a different diagnosis and a different outcome, sure. you know? So the longer you wait, um, the more problematic it becomes. Ignoring that shit is not, it's not cool. We're not, we're not tougher than cancer. We're not <laughs> like you, I'm tough. Or not, I'm tough to endure the treatment and all those things. But like this shit that's happening right now and the incidence of it, like the food's fucked up, the water's fucked up, the air is fucked up, everything is fucked up. It's man-made fucked up. You can't fight man-made shit with waiting or sitting it out or drinking a green juice. All those preventive things are amazing and I and I they absolutely need to be like added to people's treatments and prevention and stuff like that, but like this shit is different, bro. It's different. You know, it's uh powerful, man. You know, when when <laughs> when you uh one thing I think like I said before is that is very 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 strong of yours is your sense of humor. Your sense of humor. I remember seeing you uh, before your surgery, like on Instagram, saying like, "Hey, I'm, you know, I'm doing a cancer thing." Like, you know what I mean? Like, just uh, the way you went about it actually made it, it. It, it, you know, it. Not only was it like interesting to see, you know, take us through that journey, but it was also like, you know, your approach was like, "Hey, I'm not going to sit here and like, you know, cry, or I'm not going to, you know, blame anybody, and I'm, you know, I'm just going to be me." Mm-hmm. Again, back to brutally honest. Yeah. And, you know, I remember seeing, the, you know, the, those times you were going into surgery or dealing with this and dealing with that. You know, social media, as much as people, people, people shit on it for the most part. And I get it. I even been one of those. You know how people are like, ah, you, you can't believe everything you see on social, social or Twitter is this or Twitter is that. There's certain people, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to use two people. One is, is, is uh, Raymond Santana from uh, uh, the Exonerated Five, which is a Central Park Five. That when they see us is is, is so funny. But uh, Ava tweeted, uh, uh, "What should I do my next film on?" And he just retwe- he just retweeted it and wrote uh, Central Park Five. She had DM'd him, and they met in New York. And it's just funny how like Twitter, he just like repopped her, and yeah. then next thing you know, like that movie, they got an Emmy from it. You know what I mean? Because like, whole life was changed again. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I me and A King were with him in A Three C. I mean, we were just Blaze Diamond D. All the bro, people were. Forget about just being diamond. They were coming up to him, and I'm sure people have came up to you now too. The reason why I'm making this point is, is, is they they have seen the support and love. Okay, Instagram, YouTube comments, some shit is fucked the fuck up. But on some shit, people care. I mm-hmm. mean, you put that things out there. I see people put. There's a lot of love, right? Mm-hmm. How has social been to be able to see people real time tell you that they they're praying for you or that they care for you or that they love you or that. Um, they just, you know, support us. Has that been something special? Because that's today's day yeah. and age of, of like a, a Hallmark card. For sure. Um, I think social media is complicated. And I, I've talked a lot about what I've witnessed out of social media as a result of going public with my cancer and going through six rounds of chemo on Instagram stories, essentially, um, and multiple surgeries and kind of the experience of putting yourself out there, um, there's great positive things about it. A, like my friend who just hit me up, who's 30, who just got diagnosed. um, She's like, I had no idea that you were teaching me about what I was about to go through while I was watching. And now I feel so much more empowered in this diagnosis than I would have because I saw you do it, right? Like 
that's that's reason enough to have done what sure, I did. Sure. Like that's one person's life that hopefully has been made easier by seeing the real deal and knowing what to expect, right? Um, people have you know outpouring of love, kindness, generosity. People have sent me books and candles and essential oils and massages and. I mean, just the kindness, the abundance that I experienced from planting the seeds of those things early on, from being kind, being honest, being, a, you know, giving giving people what, what I could or using my resources to help people all these years, that came back to me in this process, like in a real way. People reached out to me and were like, you were the first person who ever put me on a stage who's next. I've never I'd never performed before. Or you were the first person who ever got my song played on the radio. Or, you know, I've been following you since five cities ago when you were doing X, Y and Z. And I just want to let you know, blah, blah, blah. Like it was wild to see how many people I could reconnect with. I reconnected with exes of mine who we had really shitty, bad blood and it was awful. And they were like, I want to tell you that I love you and, you know, I know things didn't work out, but like I, you know, support you and I'm so glad that you're happy and your fiance seems amazing and your daughter's amazing. And like all, a lot of, of wounds were healed um, because when death comes calling, you got to make some decisions, you know, like, do you want to act now or do you want to, you know, let it fade away and continue to fester? So there's that part of social media that was phenomenal. Um, other parts are, you know, when you open yourself up like that, like the first thing people say is like, oh yeah, my aunt just died of breast cancer. It's like, okay, well, I don't know if I'm your target audience for this conversation. Like I'm trying to not die. Right. Like, but people in trying to relate, you know, will we'll say some wild shit or like, you know, like really you shouldn't be doing chemo. I'm already on round five. I don't need you to tell me to not be doing. Chemo. It's too late now. Like, you know, I'm doing. Do you know Everyone's who doc- doctor? Yeah. Do you know who Dr. Sebi is? Like, of course I know who Dr. Sebi is. Like, and I don't. And that's not I'm not I would never shit on Dr. Sebi, by the way. Like, I feel like I use a lot of his protocol in my day to day life. But I also did Western treatment because I was going to die if I didn't. There, that's period. Is that the certain foods you were eating? Yeah, like the kinds of foods. I remember when I hit you one time or uh, I think you were eating certain foods. We were going to try to sit down a while ago and you were telling me you were eating – I forgot, but you know better than me. What the, you were Just eating like, certain you type know, of foods, gluten-free right? and like you know, not eating dairy and you know, not eating meat and all of those things and like Irish sea moss and soursop and all of these things that are anti-cancer and good for your body and bitters and things like that. A lot of that stuff is SEBI protocol. A lot of it is you know, just understood by – um, functional medicine doctors as the way to heal the body. Um, but look, everybody's going to do it differently. Um, but I got a lot of unsolicited advice. Uh, I was talking about how maybe I wanted to wear a wig because I had no hair and yep. I had no eyebrows and I had no eyelashes and I f- was just, you know, looking fucked up. And people would be like, well, you know, you don't really need a wig, you blah, blah, blah. I'm like, don't, I don't, I don't need you to tell me that I don't need a wig. What I, what I need you to do is tell me where to get one. Yeah. And who do you know that knows? You know, like, don't tell somebody who's sick what you think that they need. Help them get what they asked for or just don't say shit, sure, you know? Sure. So there was times like that where I would have to call it out. And I did that in real time. And again, it's all on my Instagram page and my stories. 
If you've been diagnosed or if you're curious or if you know somebody who could benefit from it, I have all of it laid out and all of those cancer grams on my Instagram highlights. And the reason why I documented that is because I want people to be able to go there over and over again and and kind of learn how to move as somebody who's trying to be supportive or how to move possibly if they want advice, if they're being if they've been diagnosed. Um, but yeah, it's social media, media is a beast. The third part of social media that I noticed is that once I started to get better, people started to comment less, to like less, you know, the same selfies that I would have gotten if I was looking mad cancery and bald and fucked up, but now I look pretty good. They get a couple few hundreds of likes instead of thousands. You know, it's really? like people, yeah, we are. You think that's, that's um, because guess in their mind they're like okay she's she's good she's good now i'm i'm, I'm not me but less sympathetic. Le- less sympathetic because what you mean is like you once you log on it's like you have access to everybody so as long i guess some people human nature is okay i see she's tweeting she's getting better she's okay so let me move on as they did their part <laughs> i know as i'm going no i know it's not yeah yeah it sounds fucked up because it is fucked up, but and, it, and it's like, yo, you should still. But you know what? Some people aren't. They they're not there. They don't, yeah. they don't have true compassion or uh, genuine. Like you can't, you can't, can't expect that from anybody. You, know? you can't. I mean, and and I ha- I don't expect it, but I'm not gonna not observe it and not talk about it because again, it's a part of this whole process. Like I'm documenting. I decided to document. Anyway. Yeah. Right. So it's like. I'm going to say, like, hey, what happened to the likes? Like, y'all motherfuckers was, like, loved me when I was, I was about Press to. Press the fucking do- like button. Like, I, but I think what it is, and people are like, oh, the algorithm this, the algorithm that. It's like, no, dude, nah. we, we are the algorithm. We choose what we see. Now, if you, you choose. Somebody, that's the algorithm. It is. But but if you if you're talking about what the curated content that comes up in these algorithms, what what the things that you see, most of it is because you've taught the algorithm that that's what you want to see, right. right? So you've so the algorithm loves me in a hospital bed. Mm. The algorithm means the people who use Instagram, for sure. example. That's us human beings that t- that engage with these tools. We love people in hospital beds, whether we love it or don't love it. We react to it emotionally right we 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 have a response to it so we engage with that and then that goes up on people's explore pages me healthy feeling great having a good time is not going to your explore page me on a fucking hospital bed is going to the explore page like i've seen it literally happen it's i'm not in judgment of people i understand the whys but i will tell you as somebody who's going through this and doing it publicly on social media, it is a mind fuck. Mm. It, it makes people. It makes you put people under the microscope. You think? In terms Partially of that, but like, if I was a lesser refined person, and I don't mean that in like I'm a more refined. I don't mean it in an elitist way. But if I wasn't as thoughtful as I am, and I pride myself in being thoughtful, if I wasn't as thoughtful as I am, I I would be taking this information and saying, oh, okay, they like it when I'm sick. Let me post more about my cancer. Let me post more, you know, of me in a hospital bed. Let me, you know, like, let me cater to this algorithm. It's just how, like, how people do with 
whatever it is that they're trying to like manipulate the algorithm with like me shaking my ass or me wearing this bikini or me standing next to a famous person or all of these things that you know are going to kind of pull the levers of the sure. lottery and the fucking system inside of people's brains and the dopamine loops and all the shit like w- our brains are all fucked up because of all the social media that we use and and we are now showing how fucked up that is yeah. even just by how we engage with certain things and, and and people do it and they don't think about it and when i pointed it out um in a couple of posts on my instagram people were really defensive about it and they were like well you're just ungrateful you should be grateful that people were trying to have your back they think you're good now and oh well i don't use social media that way i just you know i don't look at likes anymore and well i don't you know and they people were really you know like triggered people and and i was like <laughs> like calm down like it's not it, i'm not trying to shit on you i'm just trying to say like watch how you use it because how you use it is good bad dangerous any a number of adjectives sure. depending like yeah algorithm tells on you ex- essentially on you. Yeah. yeah it's a snitch, it's a snitch. essentially Six, nine. <laughs> the algorithm i i post i did a post and i said that the algorithm is leaving me behind and mm. like now, a book yeah and now that i'm better you know, who who am I now? I've, I've quote unquote conquered cancer. I've gone through six rounds of chemo. I've had both my breasts removed. Um, I've had to have expanders and have my breasts robot magically expand over I the course of time. I see you put a picture time. of that. It's like, uh, like a graphic design. No, no, I'm going to get out of my fiance is in the room, and Pete's talking about my tits. Well, guess what? We all talk about my tits because no, I, no, no, I, I seen you put. Yo, this girl is so crazy, man. I seen her put new tits. Who's this? Yeah, exactly. I, I was like, oh my god. Oh, I saw that too. No, no, and I, yeah. I thought it was like a link, and I was like, nah. Let me log off because <laughs> no, I didn't want to see the comments. You gonna, I, like, I don't know what's happening. She put up a picture. You put up a picture of like a graphic design of like the the, the breast. Didn't you do that? Like the way it looks. I, I don't remember. Probably. I was. Oh, what would I see at this? Oh, what are you talking about? Man, you're just getting. <laughs> anyway. It was that. Remember when I DM'd them to you? I just, no, no, no. I'm no, just no. kidding. No, I'm kidding. Yet. Okay. Because so, I gave him three uh, cuts in his other eyebrow. Okay. <laughs> um, but no. So where were we? I don't know. Uh, algorithms. Algorithms. I don't know. I mean, I, I just think we need to be more aware and thoughtful of, of what we like and what we don't like and when, what we scroll past. And like, I. I now like try very hard to like pictures of people's, you know, that are not highly curated or fucking professional photographs of people's families and trees and their knitting projects and their fucking apple pies. Because I, I, I just want people to be able to live their regular natural lives and not have to troll for this fucking engagement with uh, with all these extreme caricatures. This is the evolution of of the unknown. When social media was uh, became a thing, it was like the the wild wild west. Like you know, all right, this is fun platform we can engage with strangers. So true. First couple of years, it was ah, oh, all right. It was apple pies Remember, and knitting projects, and they started. Shit Twitter like that. started like, oh, I'm taking a shit. Exactly. And everybody's like, all right, that can't be the way. And yeah. then we started to utilize it in commerce and building businesses and so on and so. On. And now. We're in the troll era of it. And everything's know? for sale. The validation and troll era. And only the only things that are successful on there are caricatures. Like, yeah, yeah. I have to be Cancer Carly, a caricature, the most extreme version of myself, in order to get the engagement, you know, that I quote-unquote would want or like as a quote-unquote brand. 
but I'm not a brand. I'm a human being, and I don't want to be a cancer fucking patient forever in order to get you guys to sure, pay attention sure, to sure. me. So now, how do I get people to pay attention to me? Because everybody's trying to figure out how to get people to pay attention to them. So they use whatever it is, and they become the most extreme versions, which is why everybody's mm-hmm. a talking head. Everybody's a fucking, you know, exaggerated fucking. Everyone's an entrepreneur. Everyone's a, a CEO, podcaster. and like all of those things. And that there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. It's just breeding things that are caricatures and exaggerated versions. Yeah, and I that's think, dangerous. I think yes. people just got to have substance to it. You know, there's so many people. I get uh, a lot of messages. There's people who tell me like, hey, uh, I'm going to quit my job tomorrow. I'm like, well, do you have a plan? What are you going to do? They're like, no. I'm like, well, why would you quit your job? You probably have a you plan. Know, yeah, I always tell people like, you know, we always you know say this, the day job fuels your dream job. You know, these things don't happen overnight. But you know, it's crazy too how you're talking about liking other people's photos that are like doing regular stuff and this and that i feel like you know switching a little lanes even in the music business you have always been somebody that i've seen that has uh tried to put a spotlight on people that m- people may have not heard of mm-hmm. you know um there's a bunch of people i can go over even like you know um i'm friends with and, and know uh thutmose but i know that you were shouting them out um just a bunch of people too even i remember when uh busy's uh manager dance from brooklyn but you know i remember you saying things about him but there's a lot of people that people aren't talking about that you've done that so before all this cancer and anything like that you always had that style of like Okay, everyone just wants to talk about Jay Z and Nas, and nothing, you know, against Jay Z and Nas. But I want to put you on to people who uh, you may not know of, but need to know of. And musically, I, you have done that. Is that something that that, that you know you really strive to go after? Like yeah, to, I don't what? even think it's it's, <laughs> it's not something <laughs> that I do like by design. It's just yep. something. It's just who I am. I love up-and-comers i love underdogs i love watching people who are super dope like come up brick by brick and i like being a part of that story and i'm a part of a lot of those stories and nobody will ever know that i mean that's the reason why i i feel like i'm a very impactful person in the music business but you'll never see me on anybody's list because nobody knows that i'm doing it yeah that was the whole sort of the whisperer yeah. All behind the scenes. Yeah, it's all very yeah. behind the scenes, which was the whole impetus of when I did the um, hustle bow tie. The point of that hustle bow tie was like the unsung heroes, the people behind the scenes. Nobody knows that you're doing it, but you're still doing it. This music industry wouldn't move without people like myself. Sure. But you don't. You're not going to see me as any shot caller or anything. But I'm the fucking. There's a lot of heads. I'm the neck to yep. a lot of those heads. Yeah. And a lot of people just don't know that. Yeah. And that's. Totally fine with me. But that's part of the what we was talking about. Along with the evolution of social media in, in the negative, those are the other elements that have to, that that that's uh, the occurrence. It's the, the the lack of acknowledgement of the ones who are pushing buttons behind the scenes. Who you know we have gatekeepers who may not necessarily be in in the front of the gate. I don't even care who gets the credit though. Like no, I've I've still... divorced myself from that because that's the only way for me to exist. But why is it so hard? It's so easy to just, you know, Throw yo, shout out to just it's, it's so many artists out here that's that seems like they're winning, right? That seems like they're, they're they're doing good things or whatever. Somebody had to push the button, sure, you know. And it's usually a collection of people, and like I, yeah. I think that I don't think first of all, music industry people, everybody wants to own the story or own, you know, like I discovered or I did this or I did that, and cool, but like I'm not. I don't own any of these artists. 
I don't own their careers. Like, I, I'm not in their pockets. Like, I just want to sure, use the sure. resources and tools that I have, whether it was me at Hot Night or me at Apple Music or wherever I go in my career to help those people and be a point, you know, a stepping stone in that space. I don't have to be the person that gets all the credit. Um, I love to get a shout out. Who doesn't? Everybody loves that shit. But like me knowing and them knowing is more important to me than anything. Sure. Sure. I say, it, I say that all the time. You know, it's funny. I feel like if you get a check for a certain amount and the world doesn't know, what does that do by you going out there and screaming like, oh, my God, I just signed this track. I got this. And, and telling people when you have to experience that with yourself, mm-hmm. you know, you, you you take that money and, and, and go enjoy yourself because all other, someone else is going to do is to comment on it yeah. or complain or, 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 you know, have a different opinion. You know, moving back all the way. Let's take it back for a second before we go on a break. Collie Hustle. Uh, I know you were born in... Um, Oregon, right? I was. What the fuck? What's Oregon? Explain to people what's Oregon. I you know I know Oregon. Hmm. Oregon Ducks. Yeah. Nike. Yes. Adidas. Yes. That's it. Those, Oregon Ducks. That's the college scene, right? Yeah. Is that, those, are, uh, those are three pretty significant things. Beaverton, man. You know, leave. You know, like, you know, growing up loving sneakers. You know, uh, Nike being out there was very powerful. The crazy thing is, I never never knew Adidas was there in, in, until years later. But I, you know. For people listening who've never been to Oregon, when you grew up, what would you say it's like? Well, um, I grew up in a very liberal town called Eugene, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, Oregon is a very white place. Who the fuck is Eugene? Eugene is about two hours south of Portland by car. Um, Beaverton is you know, like a suburb of Portland. Copy. Um, I also lived in Portland for a number of years. Good um, food truck? Great food. Mm. Great food, farm to table, mad hippies, mad weed, mm. mad coffee, <laughs> mad tea, mad artisanal everything. Like, Oregon was hipster shit before hipster shit was hipster shit. Like, recycling, fucking fur-lined pockets, you know, like... But not maybe not real fur, you know, because then you might get like jumped by some PETA people. Like if you threw a glass bottle in a fucking trash can and a hippie saw you, you get jumped like for, you know, that's going to sit in a landfill for 60 years. Like so my upbringing was very like earth conscious, equality, you know, love, see no color, which I don't believe that's true now. Um, But that vibe, um, you know, like my middle school school was a racism free zone. Mm. You had to sign a you know a contract that you weren't going to discriminate against other people off of race or sexuality or gender or any of these things. So I was brought up with all of these values. Um, and even though Oregon, I think, is very problematic in its history, I think that the intent is as good as it can be with people who are are progressive in that way. It's a very blue state. It's extremely democratic. Um, So, yeah, I think there's a lot of great things about Oregon, not the whole state, mostly just Eugene um, and Portland. Everything in eastern Oregon is questionable. Mm. Um, If you're looking for some, you know, neo-Nazi friends, you might find them out there. Like, I don't don't fuck around in eastern Oregon. I'm good. Um, But the the cities that are larger, like Eugene and Portland, are the ones where you're going to find 
beautiful trees, beautiful outdoor hiking trails, amazing food, um, and open, you know, open people. At least they want to think that they're open. Sure. Their racism's like it it's like a lot of microaggressions you know you would never there's not overt racism the same way as like maybe in the south with white people but i think it's more coded um and that's just as dangerous it's not any better but uh they they try to at least you know slap some some liberal on top of that and make it feel good mm-hmm. now you grew up with mom and dad uh my mom my dad and my my parents got divorced when I was six. Okay. Yeah. And you didn't see him anymore after that. Uh, I saw him a few times, uh, and then the last time I saw him was when I was twelve. Okay. Yeah, and I didn't I didn't see him in person again after that. Have yeah. you ever seen him again, or he's still no. around? Mm-mm. He passed away. Okay. Passed away a few years back, but I'd gone thirty years without seeing my dad. Do you ever know why? Or? Um, I mean, he, you know. If you're talking about cycles, like his dad abandoned him, so he then therefore abandoned his children. Um, pretty common story. He had a deeper relationship with my brother before my brother passed away. Um, and I think, you know, they bonded because they're both men. Also, you know, he made comments like, you know, I looked like my mom and that bothered him and, you know, those kinds of things. He wasn't a very emotionally intelligent man. Mm. Um he is was from Helsinki, Finland, so he was English as a second language. Um, his mom had some mental health issues. His dad was, you know, not around. He grew up in the tenements, you know, in, in essentially the hood, um, in the projects, if you will. Of Finland. Of Finland. Mm-hmm. Okay, Finland's thorough. Mm-hmm. I mean, as thorough as Finland's going to get, that's where he lived. That's where he came from. And he got out of there because he was... Uh, a, a track star he was a, a long jumper and at one point he was the number four long jumper in the world really mm-hmm. um he was a pre-olympian set to go to the olympics when he got injured um and have you ever seen mo better blues uh with denzel washington we, where he's yeah yeah, plays yeah, the, yeah yeah okay and he got beat in the face by his own instrument and he could never play again um and kind of the downward spiral that happens when you lose your craft through injury uh s- sort of similar uh, to, that, that's what happened to my dad. He started drinking like crazy and, and deep into the alcoholism and, you know, you never know, came out. You know, growing up, uh, especially for, uh, you know, a daughter to a father, growing up without a father consistently like that, do you feel like, uh, you know, that uh, that affected you in any way or that, you know, bothered you later in life? or? Yeah, of course. Being abandoned by... A parent is the worst betrayal in the world. Like, how do you, like, how do you come back from that? I, I'm 42 years old. I still have daddy issues. You know, like it's a very cliche thing to say, and people kind of throw that around, but it's a very deep pain to to be abandoned by your parent, which is why I didn't have children until I was much later. I never thought I was going to have kids because I didn't trust any of the male you know, opportunities that I had, um, until I met busy. And I, when I did met fill him, out an application, uh... <laughs> no, he just, we just, it just, we fit. Like yeah. I just knew. And I knew that the pedigree of him was like, even if he and I don't work out for, for some reason, he's going to be the best dad ever. He'll never leave his child. Sure. Like it's just, he, he's, it's not a question in my mind. So that's when I decided to have a kid, but I didn't want to, repeat that cycle and so i was very thoughtful about that decision 
Yeah. I mean, now, what did mom do? For a living? Yeah. Or she was a school teacher, um, public school teacher for her whole career. And then she started doing some, um, she went back to school at one point. She went and got her master's. And I remember being a young person, seeing my mom go back to school, work full time and go back to school and get her master's and get higher education beyond what she had. And I thought that was some boss shit. Um, As a single mom of two parents, uh, of two children, sorry, one with a drug addiction, which my brother had, um, to pull herself together and do that was fire. You know, I don't think I, at the time, I don't think I really understood how much she sacrificed. Like, me and my mom have kind of a complicated relationship, um, but, you know, she, she taught me a lot, you know, for all the fucked up shit I feel like that could have gone better she did the best with what she had the Mm. tools she had the emotional tools she had the emotional fortitude she had the literal tools she had the money she had which was not much you know there was never food in the house we had a big house that she was trying to hang on to but we couldn't turn the heat on because we couldn't afford it you know i could see my breath in the fucking living room like it's a very there were some really tough times really really tough times but I came out of it and she came out of it. And, you know, I think we're both now better people. Also, since my cancer diagnosis, I think I've, I see my mom as a different kind of human being than I, I could before. I just couldn't see her the way that I see her now. Um, and the relationship's not perfect. And I, I could be a better daughter, maybe. Um, I still kind of ha- have some resentment that I need to let go of. And I need to do that immediately. Because what set off my illness before the cancer, I had some autoimmune issues that I think turned into this cancer, was that when my dad died, I had not processed that abandonment or that hurt or that pain. And when he passed away, I I just, I fell seriously ill for a number of years um, with these autoimmune things and mystery illnesses and, you know, fatigue and chronic sore throats and all this wild shit. Like, and my health was very much tied to my dad's death. And um, if that's a message that I could get across today is like the shit that you hold in and you don't deal with will come out of your body in some way. And and if it's not you crying or being upset, being violent towards somebody else or whatever, which is very fucked up, it's going to turn inward and it's going to grow inside your body and 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 cause disease. Mm. Mm. Hey, you know what? Let's take a quick break, man. Sitting down here with a, a soldier, a survivor, okay? Many things. We haven't even gone into uh, the radio stuff. Um, we haven't even talked about the career shit. Isn't that yeah. normally what you talk about on here? Is everybody's career accolades? Now yeah, journey. Awesome we go are? over to journey. I try, mm-hmm. to give a, I try to give someone their, life, uh, their life's uh, view, you know? I like but, it. But, but, you know, look, the, the journey is still alive, so the journey is still moving. The journey uh, uh, still has a lot of, uh, you know... I'm not dead yet. No, you know? not dead yet. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be her next uh, podcast episode. <laughs> First it was new tits who this. That's going to be not dead yet. Internet, mm-hmm. don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. Cheer. It's Ebro Darden. Ebro in the morning, Hot 97. You listen to the Premium Pete Show. Sick fuck named it after himself, asshole. Internet, this episode is brought to you by the good folks at Bevel. It's holiday season. You know what that means, okay? Stop playing around. Go to getbevel.com forward slash Pete. Again, that is getbevel.com forward slash P-E-T-E. Punch that in. Go check out Bevel. Listen to me. It's holiday time. 
for your brother, your cousin, your next door neighbor, your your fiance, your whatever, and turn it around. It doesn't matter. Get a product. A lot of people say you premium Pete. Man, I really fuck with you. I really appreciate all the content you have put out over the years. How can I support you? Okay, here's the time. Go to getbevel.com so forward slash Pete. Sign up. Grab a trimmer. Grab a shaver. Grab some lotion. Grab whatever they got on there. They are the best grooming products in the game. Okay, that trimmer. Let me tell you something. All my barbers. I fuck with barbers. I really appreciate any barber worldwide because they make the world better. Okay, and you got to trust your barber. Barbers, that wireless trimmer from Bevel, Nas already said, it's, you know, it, 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 I get my, he said, I get the, uh, uh, my signature fade with the Bevel blade. Yes. Go to getbevel.com forward slash Pete. Okay. They're sponsoring the show, but more importantly, they're family. The Combat Jack, really, the way he embodied Bevel, we have to continue that. Okay. And we really appreciate them. They're family too. It's not just a, an ad. They're family too. Bevel has been a supportive of this podcast space, but more importantly, what an amazing story. We sat down with Tristan Walker. Check him out a couple of episodes before and learn how this man has got his products in Target, turned his life around, and had his company acquired by Procter & Gamble. Internets, okay? A lot of time people tell me, like, yo, I fuck with you and I want to support you. And sometimes I'm like, nah, don't worry about it, man. Just listen to the show. But sometimes when we have a sponsor, please show out. GetBevel.com forward slash Pete. Get yourself a discount. Order a trimmer, a shaver for tell a friend to tell a friend. Internets. Now let's get back to the show. Cheer. Internets and we're back sitting here with Carly Hustle. I call her the soldier. Uh, you could call her a survivor. You could call her a radio chick. You could call her a bow tie hustle. You could call her a lot of shit. <laughs> mom. Okay. Mom. Mom. Uh, fiance. Right. Yeah. Artist whisper- whisperer. Artist I whisper. am an artist whisperer. And you know what? Before, before we, you know, we're talking off air, but you know, when we spoke about Hot 97 and when you went over there, and we'll get to, I want to get to like, even like, you know, how you went to Hot 97, but who's next is, for people listening, is uh, something that Hot 97 did at SOBs. They still do it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Where they would put on an artist, you know, that is kind of who's next, right? Now, who created who's next? I believe it was Chris Nadler who created it. Mm-hmm. I definitely took it over from him when he passed away. Um, rest in peace. Fabulous person. Uh, he was one of the first people to put lots of folks on stages. Um, when he passed away, Joel Ortiz actually wrote a song about him and put it on his album about how Chris Nadler was the first person that put him on a stage that he was never his... performed before. What was his position at Hot 97? Um, he was in marketing. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, and he, he had a ton of work. He was overworked. He had too much going on. Um, and then, you know, I think that contributed to, you know, his stress. And he had a heart attack in front of his kids. Damn. Passed away. Rest in peace, And it man. was fast and quick. Um, not to like make this like a whole podcast about mortality, but like I think the mess there's the message continues to come back up again. Take care of yourself. The shit isn't worth it. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> the work will be there. The emails will Absolutely. be there tomorrow. Absolutely. Like also fuck these corporations. They're trying to kill you. Like, you know, create some boundaries for yourself. Make sure you don't die. Mm-hmm. The end. But um, yeah. Chris Nadler was a super important person. So when he passed away, Eero was like, yeah, so, you know. That's yours. Figure it out. And um, and the first person I put on that stage was Rhapsody. 
Really? Yep. And this was six years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, followed by, you know, Chance the Rapper, mm-hmm, Travis mm-hmm. Scott, um, Dave East, Joyner Lucas. So Chance, Chance the Rapper, he, he, his buzz was like super minimal at the time, right? So it was before he dropped Acid Rap, his publicist was hitting me up. And um, he was like, you know, we want to work with you guys. We want to do this. Is this is a story? Yeah, I, there we go. I gotta be careful. I'm glad I picked that. Let one. me think about how I navigate this shit, bro. Oh man. Okay. Come on, bro. I don't know because I don't. I got a whole busy. What you corporate... say, busy? Spice? No. I got no, a no. corporate job right now, and I don't want any pride. I don't want sure. your you PR. Don't want no problems. Your, your want PR. No problems with me. The views and opinions of Carly no. Russell. Um. But so anyway. Chance the Rapper's publicist was hitting me up, and I was like, okay, you know, let's talk about it. The, the, the second Acid Rap dropped. I listened to it. I hit him up. I was like, let's book this now. Like, I, I, this is. You didn't see him perform prior to No, I'd never okay. seen him perform, but I heard Acid Rap. I was like, oh, yeah. this is good. This is out of here. Okay. So we booked it um, for the following month, and, you know, he sold out that SOB show. It took two weeks to sell out SOBs, which was actually a short period of time at the time because of where music was at the time things are move a lot faster now people get a lot more hypey about shit than Mm -hmm. they did then so if you imagine chance the rapper putting out acid rap and us putting tickets for sale for that who's next for that following month and it taking two weeks like in today's era if there was a chance the rapper type artist that probably would have happened like i don't know in a day right it's just different times so but you know they were very proud of themselves for selling it out you know within two weeks and as they should be because it was faster than a lot of those shows um but yeah so chance the rapper it's my birthday it was june 22nd whatever fucking five or six years ago is and i have to probably look and see if i can find the flyer um it was my birthday and you know i get this phone call like chance has all these people on the guest list and it's insane and we don't have enough room blah 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 you need to come over to sobs right now and straighten this out with the manager pat and um so i go over there and it was like a surprise party for me with all my coworkers. and chance the rapper was there and pat the manager was there and it was like pretty dope good start to the night yeah you, you think it was gonna go well okay um and it uh, to according to the audience it did go really well it went off without a hitch it was amazing performance it was packed everybody was happy but you know there was some some flubs that night um chance still follows me on twitter so that's cool he me and him are cool i think (laughs) me and pat had a bit of a run-in um then that's all i can really say about that if i want to keep my job at apple (laughs) you don't want anybody to call you and uh complain this was a hot 97 thing though not even an apple thing but it's just funny like i i won't forget that like i kind of went on a bit of a twitter tirade that night because i i was you know it was my birthday um i had had a couple of drinks later on in the evening and i definitely got pretty raw on twitter but i was you know i was pissed because i i felt like there was some disrespect on the management's behalf towards some of the other artists on the bill because we were running 15 minutes late yeah and it's a rap show and it's 15 minutes and you're gonna have to calm the fuck down immediately yeah Yeah, for sure so it was it was one of those things but um i said to say i i see things early i've always seen things early what about travis scott how did that happen? travis scott that one sold out also it took longer it sold out like the night of the show um one That's of the crazy one of the best shows i've ever seen in my entire life and it was at SOBs with you know it was packed
to the gills. I mean, I think the legal capacity in there is probably three or four hundred people. There well, had to have been that, six, yeah. seven hundred people in there. We were packed in there, and Holy he's crowd shit. surfing. I took a phenomenal <laughs> photo that I, is somewhere in the annals of the fucking internet. Um, if it hasn't been dumped by Google, I got to find that. But did you guys do the J Cole? Uh, um, J Cole. No? no, I wasn't. I wasn't a part. If that existed, I wasn't a part of that one. I don't know if he did a who's next. Right, he probably did something else. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm trying we, to think of who else. I, a lot. I've ha- I had a lot of people on, on that on that platform, like Gashi and stuff like yeah. that. People who have co- real careers that, so. now. I was you know, there for that. he came in with a fucking bunch of Albanians, and they rioted outside, and the cop he got arrested. It was. I, you I know, came to I don't that want no problems one. with I the Albanians. Just I, saying. <laughs> Let's say that out loud. I didn't know who was. I agree. I didn't know who was performing, and uh, I saw Jason Rodriguez. Okay, and he was like, "Yo, you ever heard of this kid named Gashi?" I'm like, "Nah, I, didn't, I don't even know who's on the bill." And while he's on the stage, he's like filling me in with the you know, who. We, and I was like, "Wow, this kid is out of here." I just knew then. So it's just to see the trajectory kind of like falling fall in line is pretty dope. You know, you come from Portland, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah, I know, and. <laughs> You had a couple of. Uh, the fuck diff- is this girl I, doing? I don't know. Why am I out here doing any? Yeah, why do doing, I? Why am I out putting here putting making Travis these- Scott on a Hot ninety seven New York, uh, legendary radio uh, uh, platform on a Who's Next? You know, well, you, ever, you ever think that? You ever you ever sit back and think like, hey, you know, I came from here. Could I imagine where I am today? Now, mm-hmm. not. I I don't want to say minus the cancer because it's not something you envision in that. But it it's another, to me, it's another testament of who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody that made that. I mean, think about it. Who's out of Eugene, Oregon? Is there anybody out of Eugene, Oregon? We got to look this up. Yeah, did you use your Googles? Call, um, we got to say here, Carly <laughs> Hustle's the only one that made it out of Eugene, Oregon. Everybody else is there feeding uh, parakeets. Like, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if I if I say nobody else, then someone's going to definitely be yeah, mad that made it out. Like, so, yeah. but I, nothing, nobody I could think of, but I, I think you have to get the fuck out of that place because it's a dangerous place. Um, people say that big cities are dangerous. I'm here to tell you that the small towns are the dangerous ones. It's where people atrophy. It's where people get on drugs. It's where drugs, certain drugs, wave through the whole city and take sure. everybody out and fuck everybody's lives up. And then you have to figure out how to rebuild. You know, my brother got hooked on heroin in, in that town. Everybody got hooked on heroin in that town. Mad people died. He was one of them. Um, and so I need to get the fuck up out of there because I knew I always knew in my spirit that I was something else. I was not that. And I had to leave in order to figure out what that was. And so I packed up my car um, with my belongings and I drove a few miles uh, up to Portland, a couple hours. And um, I moved in with this dude who was an aspiring pimp, which I didn't know at the <laughs> aspiring? time. Aspiring. Yeah, I, he was trying to make me his first project. Um, Pinky. Yeah, so, uh, but I did not succumb. Uh, one of the days when he was out, I packed up my stuff again and drove down the street and got an apartment. <laughs> and I moved in there, and I never talked to him for, again, for several years. Um, and then I found out crazy shit about him. Like, he's still he's still out here pimping. Really? He, he, he was a, in Portland. He was a, his, uh, I don't know where he is now, but he is a consummate abuser of women and bilker. And he's a sociopath, basically. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's, yeah. So, you get an apartment. I got the apartment. It was 
a really shitty apartment with mad roaches. Um, and I met this dude, Chris, when I was making a phone call on a payphone because mm-hmm. I didn't have- 10 a, cents or a quarter? It was a quarter. Okay. Um, I am dating myself. This dude, Chris, I don't know where he's at now, um, but he was like, you know how like you get these like unsuspecting angels that come into your life, you know, like he was a small time kind of petty crack dealer at the time, but he made enough money to like look out. And I was in a really bad financial situation. I was in trouble. I didn't have any money. I barely even had a quarter to make that phone call to call my mom. I had nothing. Um, and I had just left this like dude. Once I figured out he was trying to like turn me into a hoe, I was like, "All right, I'm gonna get up out of here." So he looked out. He bought me food. He took care of me. He, it wasn't nothing like he was buying me furs or anything. Like we're talking low budget crack yeah, sales, yeah, sure, sure, right? But you know, every once in a while he might give me a crack gift. You ever got a crack gift before? It's when somebody can't afford to pay for the crack, and so they give you a ring or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he gave me a ring from somebody. It was really, you know, it was fucked up. Um, I felt bad about it, but. I, I grew up in Brooklyn. People try to bring uh, uh, bed frames and stuff. Exactly. Like, it's right. Allegedly. So, you know, I, I benefited Selfish. from the blood of somebody else, and I do feel bad about that, and I did feel bad about that at the time, but, like, it got me from point A to point B so that I, I could eventually be sitting here right now. Nobody's story, I think, is perfect or unproblematic. Like, there were mistakes that I made. My brother's a drug addict. Now I'm dating a drug dealer. Like, how does how do you, you know reckon with the cognitive dissonance between those two things you know like i've struggled with some of those things my whole life but he without him i wouldn't have been able to get to that next step um which was getting into a better apartment eventually and you know working it you know i was working at record stores because i wanted to be in the music business and the closest thing i could do to a music business at in portland oregon is go work at sam goody go work mm. at camelot music you know so that's what i did i worked in the malls and slaying cds and this was like during the master p era where he was putting out shit every single week then you know no limit and um so yeah it was i really came from the fucking bottom like and everybody's bottom is different sure. you know um mine is small town Absent parent, alcoholism, heroin use, coke use, fucked up people. Lots of women that I went to high school with ended up hoeing, prostituting. Um, They moved to Vegas. They were doing, at the time, and I don't know what it is now, but at the time, Portland, Oregon was the sex capital of the world. Really? More sex shops, more sex. The industry was per capita more than anywhere else in the world. You're talking about... Strip clubs, fully nude strip clubs, girl on girl at strip clubs, fully nude. I don't know what the the rules are now. Lingerie shops. Every time you turn around, it was some kind of brothel vibe, in call, out call, like all of that. So it was a lot of women that I was around who came from similar circumstances that I did, absent father issues, blah, 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 were hoeing. Um, and I never did that but i was a couple of decisions away from getting sucked into a life like that mm-hmm. but something and i i don't know i've always asked myself what sure, what, what was that, was yeah. that yeah. in me that and where did that whatever it was come from to know that i could be better than that you know was it i, I don't know i don't i don't know i can't be like oh it was this one time when somebody said or oh my mom like it wasn't it was nothing I, it was just a thing that i knew and even when i was a small child I felt something like I'm special and I, and I don't mean to sound elitist. It's not an elitist thing. It's just, I knew that I was better than what I was seeing. You know what I mean? Sure. So 
Now, now, what about um, when when you think about, you know, obviously everybody has first jobs, and uh, you know, what, what was your first job? My first job was um, I worked at Kinkos. Okay, Kinkos, yeah. really? Mm-hmm. Okay, I was the youngest employee there. Um, all my coworkers were at least a decade older than me. Damn. I was fifteen years old. Now, did you have any inkling of like? Working in the radio business, or I mean, you said you like music, you, you know, you said you're at the record store, but you know, did you have any inkling of ever like working in music? Like, is that something you thought was possible growing up out of fucking Eugene, Oregon, and then moving over wherever you were, blocked down from all the pimps? No, nah, it wasn't until I was a little bit older that I, I wanted to do that. I think at the time I was just trying to like rub two nickels together to figure yeah. out like how I was gonna. You know, get things for myself. And you went to you went to college out in Oregon, right? Yeah, I went to U of O, University of Oregon, for one term, okay. and then I left and went to to Portland. And then I started going to Portland Community College, where I met another crack dealer. I, I dated several crack dealers. Fuck. Yeah, I, I feel like I've seen you talk about this on Twitter in some sense. Like, I've been to more crack houses than a lot of these, like, rappers that talk about trapping and shit like that. I'm telling you, like, I don't, like, people look at me and they make these assumptions about me and I'm like, I'm not even, I don't need, I'm not going to explain it to you. It's fine. You don't, like, I'm more thorough than you. Like, I'm just telling you right the fuck now. I've probably held more guns than you. I've probably cut more crack than you. I've probably cooked more crack than Mm. you. Mayonnaise jar. Get the bounty. Yeah, bring like, it back. I've had I've had a fucking <laughs> Forget like trash bag full of cash in my closet before. Fucking tens of thousands of dollars in fucking drug money. I'm not bragging about it, but people think I'm a fucking joke, I'm... and I'm just here to tell you, I am not. She's not a joke. <laughs> Don't fuck with her, Carly <laughs> Trap Hustle. The Finland and her real. I'm not. I'm here not here to glorify it, but I have seen it. I've been around it. And I it's grew part up of the story. Yeah. And it's a part, yeah, my brother was doing it. Like, mm-hmm. I had a very desensitized, like, you know, way no of dealing it. with substances and things like that. So, wow. you're around all this stuff. You finished from college. Yeah, and how, that's how, when I met Ebro. Really? I met how, Ebro how in happen? Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Me and Ebro um, met, I was doing um, Hip Hop in the Park, which is a charity hip hop uh, show that we did um, with... Local community activists and local rappers and poets and things like that. And we wanted to just put on something for the community. And I got involved in the hip hop community in Portland, Oregon. And that's where I met Ebro. Ebro's a smart dude. Every, people have their opinions or issues or whatever. Ebro's a very smart dude. He's yep. always paid attention to what's going on in the community and always gotten involved. And he peeped from where he was sitting at the time. He was on the morning show at Jamma 95.5 in Portland, Oregon as oh. a personality. And he was also running a radio station in Sacramento, um, basically like, you Remote. know, from afar. Yep. Exactly. And uh, so he heard about this little hip hop in the park thing that the kids was doing. He wanted to come and find out what it was. And so he did. And he was like, how can I help you guys? Let's see, let me see if I can bring some artists up from Sacramento to help you, you know, give it a little bit of sauce, make it feel like a little bit bigger. So he did. He got um, a group called The Cuff to come up. And I can't remember who else was there. Um, my memory is not very good for a lot of reasons. But um, so through that, he saw how I was executing and he was like, "Yo, you're like, you know, you're fucking about your business. Like, I'm going to put you on my personal street team. At the time, he had a personal street team called Conscious Vibes. So I joined Conscious Vibes. We were sniping up posters at 3 o'clock in <laughs> gang, the morning. Gang. Yeah, we I was the only Ebro girl that was out there. It was all dudes. 
Um, we were, we did all the Rockus record shit when Rockus was like white hot. Yeah. Um, we did, you know, everything that was coming out during that era, which was like 2001 ish, 2002 ish. And then I got, um, on at the radio station that he worked at on that street team. So I was on his street team and their street team. And then I started running boards. I did Snoop Dogg's radio show. I was doing overnights. Um, and then I got a mix show. I started hosting a mix show. And then I was like, okay, I'm not going to make it here. I need to move again. And at the time, you had to downgrade before you could upgrade. Sure. So I moved mm-hmm. down to Salinas, California, which is Salinas, Santa Cruz, Monterey, um, very violent small town. I don't know if you know anything about Salinas, California, but it's no, not, not a fucking much. joke. It's run from it's run out of Soledad prison. Like I was just gonna ask you, yeah. Wow. All all the Mexican gangs down there. Like there's more homicides in that small town of 150 thousand people, at least at, at the time that I lived there, than there were in San Jose, which was a much larger city up north. Um, and so you know, I learned a lot by getting out of my cocoon of Oregon, what, what, what the other streets were like and what else is going on. And I think to your point of like, how does a girl from Eugene, Oregon end up putting Travis Scott on a stage in New York city? Like how did you ever think that was possible? I think it's about curiosity and Mm -hmm. about really understanding, like I want to observe and find out all of the, all of the shit that's happening and not just the cute and shiny shit, but where's all the fucking dirty, nasty, gritty shit? Because I'm, I'm, I live in that vibration at this time. I recognize that there is beauty in that vibration and that you can create amazing shit from that suffering and that fucked upness. And so I learned a lot about Salinas, California. I learned about the Norteños and the Sorenos and like mm. how the fucking Mexican gangs worked and what to say on the air and what not to say on the air that might get, you know, and be careful of your prison shout outs and stuff like that when you're on Lock your in. night show. C-74. Exactly. Or like, you know, I'm, I couldn't do really any shouts to Lil Puppet and shit like that because I don't know which Lil Puppet they're talking about and it might be somebody that you know, it could cause an actual street problem. You, you were know? the K-Slay of uh, California? I, no, I wasn't. I definitely <laughs> was not. So, you know, I was there for a period of time um, and then I moved to San Diego for a short stint, which didn't last long because me and my boss didn't really get along. Um, then I moved to Arizona. I, I did radio in Phoenix for a number of years. So I've lived in a lot of markets where there was um, a lot of Mexican-American people. And I got to like really understand and appreciate that culture. Um, and so I saw I really just had a full understanding of West Coast culture and Southwest culture. And um, then moved to to New York. So, like, I've gotten to live on both coasts and I got to start all over again in New York and learn about West Indians and Caribbeans and Puerto Ricans. And, like, it's very different than the West Coast, you know? Why did you move to New York? Um, Did you just move because you had a – I moved because there was a job. And is that the job at Hot 97? Mm -hmm. How did that happen? That was music director. Ebro. So he called you up? Ebro gave me my first street team gig, my first radio job. And then I went off and did my own career. And then he called me one day while I was working at the time. I had quit radio. I was being called to do something different. I was working in um, a teen homeless shelter. And I was doing foster care licensing for a period of time. And um, I was doing weekends at the radio station and throwing parties and stuff like that. And uh, he's like, yo, what are you doing? And I was like, "Uh, I'm thinking about moving to Thailand to teach English. And he's like, "Um, (laughs) why don't you move to New York and (laughs) work at Hot 97? I was like... Okay, sounds good. Maybe it might be better than Thailand. So I did that. You know, wow. somebody like Ebro Darden, 
Um, <laughs> hey, wow, you said Ebro Darden. Yeah. No, no, I mean, well, well, for people who may not know him, you Next know, time he comes on the show, we gotta, we gotta make some conscious vibes T-shirts. He's like, oh yeah, his street team. He <laughs> yeah. had a gang, gang. Uh, you know, your relationship with Ebro, yeah, has been uh, from what I see from afar. I mean, I know you both, but you know better of what you, you know, you, you know, you, you meet him back in the day in in uh, uh, Portland. Mm-hmm. Then you know you make your way back to New York. Now both of you are uh, beats reunited, and, and it feels so good. I see him at uh, you, you're always at his kid's birthday party. He's at your kid's party. I mean, it's like a fucking you know he's it, it, a family. Yeah, we are family. I mean, I guess you, to a degree, if you want to call it nepotism, I guess you could call it nepotism. Eh, I, I hate nepotism. Um, but I don't. I don't. I don't see it as nepotism, and the reason why I don't see it as nepotism is because I fucking have worked my ass off. Like, yeah. well, people like that's a crazy thing too. Because and I have the fucking uh, you can look around. You, yeah, I'm saying ask, you, just, ask about you, me. you just explain like how you went from here to here to here yeah. to here to here. You know, most people see oh she works here, oh she worked here, not knowing, and that's why I love these type of episodes because if you know if you fuck with Carly Hustle. You listen, you find out that, yo, she's not just somebody that, like, took a picture in Hawaii, like, yo, I want to be where she is. It takes a while to get here. It takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. You don't want to have gone through what I went through to get where I am, probably. Like, it might, you know, most people don't have it in them to yeah. go through all of those things that, that refine you. And, like, there's so much obsession with youth and youth culture and being young that we have forgotten that context and history and experience and seasoning also is very important and I have all of those things now. I had to go through all this shit and live this life to be able to do what I do now. In my opinion, a lot of people are getting from point A to point B a lot faster. Like I had to go A, M, Q, back to C again. Sure. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's a different world now and I'm I'm really glad that I came up in the era that I did because I really feel like I got to see and learn a lot before I was given the great responsibility, the great cultural responsibility to exist at Hot 97. Like, that's a responsibility. No, 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 special. But think about it this way. You're on Who's Next. You're putting people like uh, Travis Scott, who people didn't really know of like that. That's why it's called Who's Next. Chance the Rapper. uh, uh, Dave East. We could keep on going on like we spoke about. Ebro, you know, brought you there. You're striving. You're making a lot of moves behind the scenes. Why Why would you leave? I left because there was a management change. Um, at the time, I was reporting to Ebro, and they basically said, you have to pick between morning show or program director, and he chose morning show. Um, and when he did that, they I inherited a new boss. And I didn't want to work for that new boss because I already saw that I was going to continue to do all of the things that I was doing and more and making this person look great. Um, And I was tired of not making people look great because Ebro always has given me my props and my credit and my due. Um, But the new program director comes in and was like, yeah, so, um, you know, the GM doesn't really know what you do here. So I have to, like, figure out, like, I have to explain to him, like, what you do here. Because, like, they don't really get it. And I was like, well, I thought about it for a day. And I came back the next day. And I said, here's my two-week resignation letter. <laughs> well, fuck yourself. You're going to figure out what I do here. 
In two weeks. Now, did you see that? Well, obviously, I, I probably that's you probably answered the question. But did you see that as a sign of disrespect? Yes. And laziness. Fuck you. Fuck you. It's Don't right. you dare come in here. <laughs> right. After all of the fucking blood, sweat, and tears that I've put in for my whole career, but to get here, and then I've spent the past three years fucking kicking ass. And tell me you don't know what I do here. Maybe you should ask about me then. Don't walk into this office. And I don't. And I'm not an egotistical sure, person. Sure, and I'm it. not an arrogant person. But don't you dare. Like, and if that's the approach that you're going to come to me with as a first impression, yeah. I'm the fuck up out of here. But but wow. he, he brought it in, try to like step in between and help you out. Uh, you know, meaning like, well, what are you doing? He, he could. There was nothing lot. that he could have done because yeah. he knew at the time, and you know, he made a very tough decision. And in that decision, a lot he had a sa- he sacrificed a lot of us for himself in that moment, and I don't mean that in a bad way. He had a baby on the way at the yep, time. Yep, right, there was a right. lot going on. His, I think his mom maybe was ill. I'm trying to remember yeah, the timeline. I, I think he alluded to that on the, on, on the morning show uh, not too long ago, as I heard. Um, he was going some, through a yeah, lot yeah, of yeah. shit I think personally. His dad, it might be his dad too. And um, so a lot was going on and he had to make a choice, you know, and I understand why he made that choice. And so he had to understand why I made the choice that I made. And it yeah. it was difficult. And I feel bad because he gave me that opportunity and I was and I did it for three and some odd years. But and shit changed. And I was like, I'm good. Now, did uh, you have something lined up or how did Apple no. how did Beach One Apple come about? I went and did hustle bow tie, did consulting for a while. Um, I threw a few parties. I was just like fucking trying to figure yeah, it out, yeah. you know. Um, in the midst of that time, I did how to quit your job series on oh, YouTube. Oh, that's right. I remember. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Internet, check that. Is that still available? It's still up there. Yeah. Uh, check uh, Carly Hustle how to quit your job. I, I remember that. I remember that you spoke yeah. about like. Uh, Certain bills and shit. I remember that. Kind of like how to quit your job but do it with a plan instead of just quitting your job. The thing is, is that I come from a place of scarcity. When you don't, when you grow up and you don't have enough or, or you always feel like there's not enough. And I think capitalism just makes everybody feel that way in general, but I think it's more enhanced for other people. Like I didn't grow up in the projects, but I also didn't grow up like with with any kind of a silver spoon. So you have this idea of scarcity. I've, I always plan my financial life. As if I might have to quit tomorrow. So I bank money. Yep. I put shit in and all the, I hide money and hoard money in different yep. places. I have mad life insurance policies in the on wall? myself. You put money I'm in the wall? I'm not going to tell you where. Okay. Come on, fam. Busy. But, um, so yeah, so I, I was <laughs> no, already no, prepared like, to quit at any time because that's how I set my life up. I know that everything is temporary and that if shit goes left, what ends up happening is my morals and my integrity and my dignity is always going to come before any position. The second you show me your hand and it's not favorable and I and I know there's just no going back. I have to leave. So that's what I did. And I was I was set up. I had, you know, enough money in my savings account. I moved in with some friends and was paying, you know, seven hundred dollars in rent for a small ass room. All of my belongings fit in a very small room when i moved to new york i came with six suitcases i had sold everything that i accrued up until that time um it was all gone i had no attachments um and really it was just about like survival so yeah so 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 you see somebody said there's a position available or how did that even happen at beats Beats? yeah ebro called me again Again. Yeah. yeah so that's the second time he's called me when I'm and what did he say? And he hey, said, it's "Hey, me. we're working on a secret project. I want you to call so and so and talk to them." So I called so and so and I talked to them. 
um, and I went through the whole application process and signed mad NDAs and I got hired at Apple and nobody knew we were working on this project. It was Apple Music hadn't launched and Beats, yep. Beats One hadn't launched. We were working on all of this very quietly. Um, there was a lot of responsibility again um, to step into that space. And I look at everything that I do as a huge responsibility and really as a debt to artists. And the only reason why I have a job is because of artists. So I have so much respect for them. And I wanted to make sure that I executed that properly and with a lot of delicacy and respect. And I think that's what I represent inside of Apple is, you know, I work on the artist relations team now. Um, and our job is to help artists navigate the behemoth of Apple mm. and their, and all of its tentacles and all of the amazing things that we can do with all of the ecosystem, you know, properties that we have from retail to Beats One to the streaming platform. There's, you know, infinite things that you could do there. Um, so, yeah, Ebro has looked out for me my whole career and it's not it, he wouldn't do it if if I didn't step up to the plate every single time. Sure. I'm a fucking rock star like and I. <laughs> I get the job done. Yeah. Like he trusts me and yeah. he should. And not only does he trust me, but a lot of people trust me yeah. because I'm he, they know I'm going to do a good job. Like I take it seriously. It's not a joke to me. Like this is really important. Everything that I do is really important. Every email I send, every fucking little spreadsheet that I have, all these little things I take very seriously. I have a lot of pride in my work. And I think not a lot of people have that, that ethic and that attention to detail. And so that's why I think I am – you know, an important person and why he continues to, to bring, to reel me back in. Mm -hmm. And that's special to see, you know, w when you think about everything you've been through, you know, going through cancer and fighting chemo and stuff like that, how, how, how tough has that been to have a job with that? You know, because people couldn't imagine, like, you still got to pay bills. You still, the health insurance, you said the cost, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like, honestly, I mean, you know, I'm speaking it, you're already living it, but it's like your fucking life turned upside down. Yeah. You know, how, 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 how good has Beats One or Apple been or, you know. Or Amazing. And that's like no cap, as the kids say. Like mm -hmm. they. No cap. I I I believe in divine timing um and the fact that I both became pregnant had a child had cancer and went through that treatment and it's all happened while I was at Apple is God's timing or the universe's timing or whatever um because that's a company that's gonna fucking hold you down and they have they've they've held me down through everything and I couldn't I I literally can't be more fortunate than I am to work there right now because I, it would be a lot more stressful if I was anywhere else. I'll tell you that much. You know, you, Steve Jobs passed away of cancer. Like, they have a very special place in their heart for people that go through that, you know, aside from it just being the right thing to do. Like, the founder, the fucking, the guy, you know, went through that. So, yeah, they've looked out in numerous ways. And I, I, I can't thank them enough, honestly. I mean, that's what they should do, you know? Like, I don't want to necessarily give people, you know, cookies for things that they should do. Like, congratulations, you know, you did a good job. But but sadly, in capitalism and in, in the state of affairs, like, a lot of people just get mistreated when they be become ill. Sure. Um, I mean, look at the veterans. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's absolutely. Like they can't even get it. shit on people. Even, yeah. yeah. They're all on – they're, they're mostly uh, all homeless. 
I know and, a and, lot of people who've had to quit their jobs because their companies wouldn't take care of them or, you know, they mysteriously got fired when they got you know, went on maternity leave and came back to no yep. job. Like, there's all kinds of fuckery that happens um, because you're not a desirable anymore. You know, this is so normal to ask. And as we uh, wind this episode down, you know, it's so normal to ask, especially women. But you're such a brutally honest, pun intended person. In the music industry, in the music world, in the world we're in, you worked in tons of radio stations on different things. You worked in, you know, tons of different things. How hard is it for a woman, you know, to work in that industry? Because you hear these stories by, oh, you know, men make more money or you're, it's difficult or, or, or what is your take on it? Because you're somebody that's very honest. It's hard. Um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard because you do a lot of work for less money and you get less credit and you can't go in certain places without feeling uncomfortable and so therefore you miss business opportunities because you can't go in those places. Um, I've had to, you know, working Summer Jam or Who's Next or anything, had to clarify that I wasn't like a groovy backstage, that I was actually producing the whole thing, having kind of people treat me like, you know, I was just like some broad that was backstage hanging out, like trying to get next to, you know, Dave East or whatever. It's like, no, I'm trying to get him on the stage, you know, that kind of thing. There's a lot of sexism in the business. Um, yeah, I... I I don't know what else to say, really. Like, it's it's not fair. It's a male-dominated industry. Um, there have been times, especially with the digital age, you know, that I look around and see that my peers in the same position of me as me are men significantly younger than me, 10, 15 years younger than me in the same position. Um, and I don't know if that's my fault for not being braggadocio enough about all of my wins Mm. Um, or, you know, if I'm just not marketing myself properly as this person that I need to be, but it's not in me to be that way. So it's like the work is what it is. You see what it is. Um, but a lot of people also just in today's world can just waltz in and get a job because they have a lot of Instagram followers regardless of gender. Sure. You know what I mean? So you, you, you dedicate your whole life to something. You do it for 20 years and then you turn around and there's a 25-year-old, you know, young kid in the same position as you making cultural calls, but without any context, you know. And, sure. We're you know, not, and yeah, we're no it's, substance. It's a real interesting place to be. Um, and to talk about it, it's kind of like you can't talk about beauty privilege if you're an ugly person because people are just going to think you're a hater, um, even though, like, beauty privilege is, like, a real thing. Um, I can't really talk about it without sounding, like, old and bitter or a hater. Sure. So... I, I don't talk about it that much. Um, and the sexism thing is like, I don't know. I'm just fucking tired of talking about it. Yeah. You know, I just do the work and that's it. How could, uh, let's make it even different this way. How, how do you think, especially for any women, any girls, any ladies, any, you know, there's, that want to break in the industry that are listening or that are in the industry or just even men listening that are f people who like you, people who know of you, people who are learning of you today, you know, what's some things you think that you, do you think that we could do different or you think that will change in time? Like meaning like in 10 years from now, do you think it will get better? Do you, you know, do you think there's things that people could do or, 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 you know, it's gotta, it's gotta get, you know, look, I feel like it's gotta get to a point in time 
where we've been fighting for equal pay. You know, having a you know having a daughter. Uh, you know, my daughter's gonna be 20 years old. You know, I I see things through a different lens. You know, um, maybe growing up, maybe I didn't. You know what I mean? Maybe I was just a a, a a pig of a guy. I don't know. You know, now you know, having a kid changed my whole mindset of like, what? This is not happening. My my daughter's working. This is, you know what I mean? And yeah. how do how do you think? I'm not saying you have all the answers, but I'm saying how do you think we even make any type of progress? I think that the era that we're in right now is um, a lot of symbolism of progress, but not a lot of actual progress. And that concerns me that we have decided to marry ourselves to symbols of progress and not actual progress. Mm. Um, like black Ariel, you know, like is black yeah. Ariel progress is or is it not? I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, like who still makes the money if all of the black women and children and men and anybody who's interested goes and sees Black Ariel, is it – who's making the money? Who's really standing to benefit from that? It's sure, like these sure. big white corporations sure. of dudes, right? It's like we're being pimped out with this representation matters thing hmm. um, as women and I think, you know, as as probably minorities. And, like, I don't want to speak for other people, but I just – I am concerned a little bit. That w- that it looks like progress, but it's not progress. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And do I think it's going to get better? No, I don't. We're in late capitalism. This shit's yeah. going to get worse. And right now we're just being – our emotions and heartstrings are being pulled and tugged. And we're going and thinking that if we buy this movie ticket, it means that more of these things are going to get made because we're showing our power of our dollar. And I do to a degree understand that, yes, that may or may not be the case. But, like, it's – Fuck all that. Like, we need to be way more focused on our neighbors, our neighborhood, our micro communities, yep. what's happening in our laundromat next door and our fucking little cafe and like supporting those businesses Period. and stuff like that. So I don't think it's going to get better. I think it's going to get worse. But we have to band together on the ground. This is about the people on the ground right now. We're going to be the ones that make the difference. And I don't see any industry music industry movie ind- any industry none of none of it it's all complicit with the oppression of people period mm. so it's not going to get better mm. <laughs> i know that's a really fucked yeah, no, up no, way no, to it's, end it's, 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 but it's okay. you almost have to kill it with fire and start over because it's we're too far gone you know combat rest in peace he used to say um prior to trump getting elected and we used to get pissed off at him when he say this shit he used to be like yo we need Trump. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, we got to, we have to re, this is allowing the people to re-energize themselves. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you need to go through that struggle, that, that hardship to realize, yo, I got to, you know, I got to pick up the slack here as a, you know, community and as sure. a collective uh, people. And I understand it now. Like, you know, when you're seeing all this dissension amongst you yeah, know. the ranks. Yeah, and it's all about the party affiliation and like we we gotta lose that shit. But think about this. Think about this. Who benefits if Trump stays in office? Well, the idea is that people will come together, right? To 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 really we talk about impacting change and changing. Yes, people right? are coming together, right? No, that, that's that was that's what the hope and is. And we hope that and they are. 
and I believe that they are, there mm-hmm. is a groundswell, right? Right. But if you look at like liberal media, and I, I consider myself to be a liberal, which is becoming like a weird, dirty word. I don't know what progressive, whatever, what Democrat. I don't know. I've always been. On I that hate side. that word because. The it's, other side always. It's becoming weird. Yeah. But <laughs> but even liberal media and lots of liberal outlets benefit from Trump being in office because we're all obsessed with the circus. Mm. And so ratings for news are through the roof and ratings for night shows are through the roof. Yeah. When Barack Obama was in presidency, truth be told, biggest kept secret in the business, all the late night shows were suffering. There was nothing to talk about. What are you going to do? Like talk about Barack Obama like he's not doing you know he's everyone loves the guy like there was there wasn't enough satire now you have all these liberal shows and liberal media and they're benefiting off of this dude being off his fucking rocker at all times so even like your late night show hosts like when they go into that voting booth who are they actually going to vote for mm. it's career suicide if they mm. vote for the the mm. normal guy it's actually no better yang for gang, them no yang gang I'm yang gang by the way and you know okay. that um, but I don't know. Like, Yangi. I think it's like, sc- <laughs> I think it's so much more diabolical he like the and Knicks, scarier. So, you, know, you don't FM. like Yang? You're not no, a I Yang said, guy? No, Yang doesn't like the Knicks. So I'm like, eh. Oh, I'm okay. Well, you know, you got to pick your, you got to pick your battles. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. I don't, I just think everything is no. a lot more diabolical. No, it is. It is. And I don't disagree. I think Trump is a great mirror. You know what I mean? Like people, it's showing America. This is who, who you, you really are. are. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and combat Jack rest in peace was absolutely correct. Maybe we, maybe we did need that. You know, I, said we deserved them, and I and I think we probably do. We probably he said, do. Said we deserved them. <laughs> we deserve because us. we are in the latest capitalism possible, and everything is for sale, and it's a shit yeah. show, and it's a nightmare. And the only way that we're going to fix this is to divest and focus back on humanity, and that is why I'm Yang Gang. I'm Yang Gang mm. because he understands that capitalism isn't going to go away tomorrow, but it's killing people today. Right, right the fuck now. Give them some money in their hands immediately and take away some of the power from these larger companies financially and make them pay the people for whom they serve and for whom support them and make them multi-billion dollar corporations. Mm. Mm. Wow. And there it is. Th- don't be confused with political collie. Okay. Well, listen. This uh, is another tool in my fucking belt, you know. Hey, listen. She's out here. You're Carly the trapper. The yeah, hustle, she trapper. Hustle. Listen, she's Political a trapper. Okay. Radio. <laughs> Political uh, uh, <laughs> Alleged, you know, almost a, 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 a... I got a little arrogant. Almost prostitute. Um, um, I was almost a hoe. Um, <laughs> uh, many... many <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry Foster, you worked in foster homes, right? I did. I worked in foster homes. I worked. I have lots. What's up with so the bow ties? Is, is the bow ties still? Are you still selling those? No, I, that business sort of went defunct. But people keep asking me to bring. You it sold back. a bunch. I remember. I remember. I, I remember even. I think you got one at Kesta uh, oh, Questlove. Questlove wore it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. he did. He wore it multiple times yeah. on Fallon. He he always was a big supporter. Yeah, shouts to Questlove. Yeah. There's a lot of support. Did did you did you ever see somebody come out that you wouldn't expect? You know, sometimes when people, uh, you know, go through things, you know, they don't realize. I know you spoke that there were people who did come up, but who is somebody that really came out that impressed you or surprised you that that you didn't even think of? Like Wale. Yeah. Wale was like a ride or die for me this whole time, and that was like very special to me. Mm. Um. I don't know, man. He always was with a kind word, a kind joke. You know, he was always bigging me up. Um, and it for no reason. There was no real reason for him to do that. 
you know and and he did like so Wale has like a very special place in my heart and to see him come out with this album um, and have it be received well and for him to just be doing what he's doing just is so special to me I'm so happy um, other people who hit me up like SZA hit me up like a lot of people who I would not expect were paying attention were paying attention um, and that was pretty wild and it's not like like celebrities are more important than of regular course, people course, you know yeah. what i mean of course, but like it, it was it is surprising when somebody who has that level of fame and you know a schedule that's wild and crazy and sure. to take for them to take the time to shout you out and to give you you know um encouragement and love was was what was really dope yeah Mm-mm-mm. Listen, uh, Carly Hustle uh, on Instagram and Twitter. She will uh, fill at the Carly Hustle. At the is it at the Carly Hustle? Yeah, I thought it was Carly Hustle it's straight up. The Carly Hustle. Who the fuck has Carly Hustle? Well, Busy. I, I had it Get and honest. then I I fucked it up and so I had to change it to the. Okay, well yeah. at the Carly Hustle. Trust me on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, well, more Twitter. She's gonna put on. She's gonna put on a show. She's gonna she's gonna give you a bookload of crazy sense of humor things. You and know? my tweets delete um, automatically every two days, so you know catch them while they're there. Brutally honest um, is available on Patreon. Head on over to Patreon. Check it out. How much is it to get in there? Um, it is I have a two dollar tier and a three dollar tier per okay. month, um, and I have almost five hundred people really that are patrons on my Patreon. Nice, yep. Shouts to all the patrons and and continue to support that. Even go back to uh, the YouTube, like I was saying, check out how to quit your job. That's you right. should start doing some more videos like that. How to submit your uh, two weeks? Yeah, how to submit your two weeks? <laughs> how to how to not give how a to fuck? Stick it to the man. How to be? How to almost become a hoe? Um, yeah. <laughs> how to deal with busy um you know a lot of things but how listen, to deal with busy's hoes yeah uh-oh. 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 don't check his dms um listen <laughs> you can't go to watch the heist no hit, more, hit, listen <laughs> we try to make this happen for a long time you know i know you were going through things and my first and foremost was for you to take care of that you know who gives a fuck about a podcast yeah. um you know but i'm glad that we finally made it happen you know i feel like your story and i hope you know, whatever you want to do, obviously, but I would love to see you as you are uh, moving around and just being who you are for other people as you went through your stuff. Like, like you are now, I would love to even see it on a bigger scale. I think that's very, very, I mean, I'm not saying you, you, you know, you're your own person, you do what you want. Um, but I would love to see that as a, whether it be a motivational speaker, whether it be somebody who's like a life, you know, I, I could see that. There's people going through this stuff and, there's women out there, there's men out there that I see personally that, that, that are supportive and loved and, and, and what you went through is, is very tough and you know, to be a mom, to to be a fiance, to be everything, to be honest with you, it's been very uh very tough to see, but proud to see that you have overcome them and I'm sending you love, I'm sending you blessings and Thank you. You know, internets, the one and only, uh Kali Hustle. Tell cancer to hold my dick. Yeah, there it goes. <laughs> hold a dick. Peace out. <laughs> Call you awesome. Cheer. Bye. Cheer. Internets, if you enjoyed that episode, I want you to email me at thepremiumpeacho at gmail.com. Again, that email is thepremiumpeacho at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought. And listen, all my advertisers out there, all my big businesses, my small businesses, whoever, a friend, a store, you want to advertise on the Premium Pete Email me at thepremiumpeacho at gmail.com and let's get working. Okay? Make sure you subscribe, rate, leave a comment on all streaming platforms of podcasts. Tell a friend to tell a friend. 
and we'll see you next episode. Cheers.